0: Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 16th of February with me, Ian Welsh. Coming up is a conversation I had recently with Rennie Groot Brunderink, Head of Climate Solutions for the UK and Netherlands at South Pole. We talked about the latest Net Zero report and what is driving corporate action on climate change. It's worth a listen. First though is some sustainable business news with B. Stevenson.
1: A new study reveals that up to half of the Amazon rainforest could reach a tipping point by 2050 due to water stress, land clearance and climate disruptions. The forest has already surpassed the safe boundary, with potential rapid decline projected earlier than expected. The study identifies critical thresholds for water stress and predicts significant forest decline affecting regional climate. To mitigate this, limiting deforestation to 10% of the Amazon region and keeping global heating below 1.5 degrees Celsius is essential. However, 15% of the Amazon is already cleared and another 17% degraded, with prolonged droughts weakening an additional 38%. So overshoot has already occurred. Climate models project increased dry season temperatures and rainfall shifts, reshaping ecosystem resilience. The Amazon's unique offering of biodiversity, carbon storage and climate regulation underscore the urgency for net zero emissions and deforestation to prevent catastrophic consequences for humanity. In Indonesian forests, deforestation linked to palm oil plantations has increased for the second year in a row, according to an analysis by the Tree Map. In 2023, palm oil companies cleared 30,000 hectares of Indonesian forest, up from 22,000 hectares in 2022. This comes after a decade-long decline in forest loss. Whilst historically deforestation in the country has been concentrated on the island of Sumatra, a palm oil plantation hub, the recent surge has taken place on the islands of Borneo and Papua, Indonesian palm oil is set to come under scope of the new EU deforestation regulation. If smallholder farmers are able to comply, the new rules could get these deforestation rates back down. The EU's Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, or CS3D, has faced further delays as the vote has once again been removed from a Co-Reaper meeting this week. A vote scheduled for last week's meeting of the Committee of the Permanent Representatives of the Governments of the Member States to the European Union also faced cancellation. The delays have in large part been influenced by the opposition of Germany's Liberal Party, FDP. In a letter to business associations, FDP Chief Christian Lindler and Justice Minister Marco Bushman wrote that the law which introduces human rights and environmental due diligence requirements for companies in scope would place an additional burden on the companies concerned, with reference to Germany's own due diligence regulations. It has also been reported that Italy would have abstained from the vote this week had it taken place. With the future of the law unclear, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, has urged leaders to adopt the directive, which he said would show historic leadership by the EU at a time when global leadership in support of human rights is needed more than ever. Barclays Bank has announced that it will cease direct funding for new oil and gas projects and will restrict lending to energy businesses intending to expand fossil fuel production. This comes undoubtedly in response to mounting pressure from environmental activists a major lender to the fossil fuel industry, Barclays provided around $16.5 billion in 2022. The bank's climate change statement outlines an end to funding for projects aimed at oil and gas expansion, particularly in environmentally sensitive areas like the Amazon and the Arctic Circle. However, critics argue that the plan doesn't go far enough, pointing out loopholes and insufficient restrictions, such as excluding companies focused solely on fossil fuel extraction. Whilst welcomed by some advocacy groups like Share Action. Others, including Make My Money Matter, deem the initiative inadequate, emphasising ongoing financing for detrimental fossil fuel ventures. Barclays asserts that oil and gas funding constitutes a small proportion of its overall operations.
0: Next up is René Groot Brunderink, Head of Climate Solutions for the UK and Netherlands at South Pole. We talked about the latest fourth annual Net Zero report. South Pole has just recently published its regular net zero report, the fourth such report. So how does this net zero report fit into South Pole's broader work,
2: Renee? South Pole is the climate company. We consult and advise multinationals, mid-sized enterprises and also individuals on their climate journey. We do that with consultancy services across the entire climate journey. And we are also a project developer, so we are fully in the business of supporting climate projects across the globe and supporting businesses globally on their climate journey. I lead the business in the UK and the Netherlands. Overall, we have 1,200 people working in the company. Our offices in London and Amsterdam are in total around 1,200 people.
0: Let's think about the Net Zero report then. Who surveyed for this and what's the purpose of the report?
2: The purpose of the report is that we want to survey the overall global sustainability landscape as a leading climate consultancy. We want to fully investigate the latest trends on corporate sustainability, and that's why we've issued a net zero report now for the fourth time in a row. We have surveyed 1,400 companies globally. These are companies that we call climate conscious companies, so the definition that we use here is that these companies have over a thousand employees and have a sustainability officer or a very senior sustainability director within their companies. In total, we surveyed 100 companies in the UK and 100 in the Netherlands, but overall there were 1,400 companies in the database in 12 countries and 14 sectors.
0: What are the headline conclusions this year?
2: Let's start with a very positive one, and that is that the majority of these climate conscious companies have a net zero target in place. So you should see as over 80 percent, which they consider to be vital for their commercial success, but also indicate that to a majority of also 80 percent that they claim to be on track with respect to their net zero target. So that's the first main conclusion. And it's a positive one. The second one is underlying uh, that customer demand is predominantly driving climate action within these companies, but very worrying. And that's the main conclusion is that we have seen that green hushing is on the rise globally in most countries, in most of the sectors. And actually, green hushing is a term that South Pole has uh, launched uh, around two years ago. And we see that trend of companies working on climate action, but no longer actively communicating about it. That is how we have defined green hushing as uh, very much prevailing currently. We also see, and that is a last main conclusion, is that the investor market and the investor drive for corporate climate action is not as prevailing as we had expected
0: interested that you said that over 80% have net zero targets in place, and that's 80% of these, of the 1,400 climate-conscious companies. So that means 20% don't have net zero targets in place. If that's the case amongst climate-conscious companies, what about non-climate-conscious
2: companies? We should recognise that this is a sample of companies, the 1,400 that we've surveyed, that are very, very advanced on their climate journey. They have senior people working on sustainability in the company. It doesn't say that these companies don't have any targets in place, but net zero target is a target that is very demanding. So they might have other types of sustainability targets in place. But the worrying statistic is that out of these 70,000 stock listed companies globally, there's only 8% of companies that have a net zero target in place. So this is a very specific sample of companies that have an active net zero target in place.
0: Well, I think that demonstrates that there's still a long way to go, doesn't it? Keeping that in mind then, to what extent do you think that, at least among big international companies, we are moving, at least, from the why to the how on tackling climate impact?
2: It's a clear fact that at the corporate level, and especially at the multinationals that we work with, we do see that the notion of climate change being clear and present is undisputed. These companies have departments in place, teams in place to work on on corporate climate action. And we do see that the why is no longer really a question that is in play for these companies. The companies have been going towards increased sustainability and increased efforts, predominantly because of customer demand for low-carbon products also to work on brand leadership and to take a leading role also amongst their peers uh, to work on sustainability related initiatives. Increasingly, we also see that companies want to get a better oversight on their supply chain and the resilience and want to work on resilience measures within their supply chain. But also corporate sustainability is driven by investor pressure, employee pressure, but clearly also by regulation and legislation. The companies that we have surveyed are front runners, And they have set their targets a few years ago. There was a a large wave of companies that have become active in setting targets after the Paris Agreement. Now that these targets are in place for quite some time, the companies have really worked very hard to decarbonize their operations. And I'm more than happy to go into specific industries at a later stage. But that is predominantly how companies are currently working on tackling climate change and taking their share in this.
0: You've mentioned a number of drivers of corporate climate action. How is the mix of drivers changing, do you think?
2: Customer demand and brand leadership are still prevailing. Overall, we see a strong wish in the market for low-carbon products. This is not only at the individual household levels, where especially in the UK and the Netherlands, with more economic downturn, we see that individuals are less willing to pay for more expensive or slightly more expensive sustainability products. And that a sort of critical mass of consumers that are interested in buying uh, the, the sustainable products is, uh, has been reached. But on the business-to-business market, where companies interact with their suppliers and their customers, we do see that there is a very strong push towards buying low-carbon products. This has to do with scope-free emission reductions, and the leaders within the various value chains are really driving decarbonization within their supply chain. So that is still a very, very strong driver. We do not see a very strong pressure from investors at the moment. Investors do take a wait-and-see approach towards decarbonizing their portfolios and their investments. It seems almost as if the long-term investment in sustainability and in all the measures that are required for decarbonization is overlooked by the short-term return on investment that investors are still seeking. That is a true pity because I do believe that investor pressure could be an enormous driver for further sustainability in the, in the corporate space.
0: Do you think there's been a, a bit of a backlash? ESG-type investment criteria have come under criticism. You know, it's all part of the politicalization of all of this, the kind of left
2: free right agendas.
0: Do you think that's playing a part here?
2: I wouldn't say that that is the predominant driver. I think that companies have realised that true decarbonisation comes at a significant cost and that the returns are not imminent, but that it really needs to be regarded as longer term investments, especially look at, if you look into heavy industry, manufacturing industry, changing the energy mix for companies, changing overall manufacturing systems that comes at that significant cost, and sometimes more costly than traditional investment replacements. And that would then lead to less favorable decisions regarding these newer technologies, switching fuels, and investors are not rewarding their portfolio companies sufficiently to make these transitions possible. Of course, if companies would work on internal carbon pricing, where these investments would come with a better return on investment, that might change the picture significantly.
0: Is that something you expect to see soon?
2: We increasingly see that companies are working with internal carbon prices. They sometimes relate it to the European emission trading system or to the price of uh, carbon offsets, uh, the, the, the CO2 certificates, so that they put a price on carbon, uh, which allows for the more sustainable investments to become more favourable when investment decisions need to be made.
0: The report highlights the rise of green hush, uh, with companies avoiding talking about targets and achievements on climate action. Why do you think this is?
2: It's close to 50% of these climate conscious companies that say that climate communication has become more difficult. And close to 60% say that they deliberately are planning to communicate less to the external market. So this is actually quite a prevailing and also a worrying statistic. Why are companies then deciding no longer to really explicitly communicate about their climate action? Overall, globally, there is an expectation of changing regulation, more demanding industry regulations as well which is creating some uncertainty with companies on are we then communicating the right things? What if the landscape of legislation and regulation is changing? Also, in many cases, lack of data and lack of guidance from within the industry on how to communicate. But especially, and that has been very prevailing in the Netherlands, it is the media scrutiny and the customer-related scrutiny on neutrality claims, on net zero statements, which is holding companies back towards actively communicating. What are the implications of this, do you think? It is a worrying trend because if the leaders, uh, and remember that these are the, the climate conscious companies, if the leaders no longer really actively talk about their actions and their initiatives within the industry and in their collaboration with their supply chain, that would lead to the lagging companies to be less committed and to be less engaged as well to communicate and the possibility of sharing lessons learned Best practices, sharing ideas on innovation, is no longer than spread within the industry. So, if the leaders no longer talk the talk, then the whole industry is not benefiting from their experience, from their lessons learned, which is limiting progress.
0: What's the solution to this then? How do you think companies can be persuaded to
2: champion their achievements here? What we strongly advocate is that companies work on very strong communication and being completely transparent about their initiatives, which are the initiatives around their overall footprint, the targets that they've set, the achievements that they have made, the type of climate financing that they undertake, and also to be very open about the actual initiatives that they put in the market. We are working with funding climate action as a statement, which we recommend companies to work on. That comes with a lot of transparency it's also the legislation that is driving companies especially in the eu but also in the uk towards more clarity full transparency on risks and opportunities with respect to climate change and that would help the companies to be more comfortable in expressing the initiatives that they're taking on we've seen a big rise in companies that had set net zero and science-based targets straight after the paris agreement Being mature markets, uh, these companies have been fast in setting targets in the time where the target setting in itself was not always straightforward. In the meanwhile, the standards have converged. And the companies have also realized that really driving decarbonization is not easy. It takes a lot of effort and persistence to really decarbonize your own emissions and working across the value chain to decarbonize. At the moment, in these years, many of these targets are close to expiry. So we do see that at the moment, companies are more reluctant to communicate about the achievements that they have made against these initial targets and that they are not really considering to fully depart from science-based targets, but that the new targets that they are setting are put further into the future, maybe less ambitious than the uh, original ones. And that is also a reason why companies at the moment are being more silent, uh, more on the path of green hushing than before.
0: Now, René, you're responsible for climate solutions in the UK and the Netherlands. I wonder if you could just contrast businesses in the UK and the
2: Netherlands for us? Yeah, we recognise that both the UK and the Netherlands are mature sustainability markets in the corporate space. We do actually see some differences in greenwashing in both of these countries. The Netherlands observes and we experience most of the greenwashing globally, While in the UK, the phenomenon of green hushing is less dominant, companies in the UK are maybe a bit more bullish, but they are still extremely proud and less afraid to talk about their climate section. Also more optimistic about reaching the targets that they've set. The Netherlands has received a lot of scrutiny in the last year, also driven by legislation and consumer protection driven out of governmental bodies. But also the Netherlands, where we see that companies really believe that communication on that zero target, 90% says it's really good for our company's bottom line. So that's where I actually feel that most of the pain around green is to be observed in the Netherlands, while in the UK, maybe less regulation is in play, less scrutiny was in the market, so that the UK market is more openly communicating, also more optimistic about reaching the targets.
0: How do you then reflect on that 90% statistic you mentioned there? The 90% of companies, is in the Netherlands say that reporting is good for the bottom line?
2: That's where these companies feel the pain of really driving corporate climate action, being a mature sustainability market, having a strong belief that communicating would be a good thing for driving the overall bottom line. 9 out of 10 companies say that this is, onto climate-conscious companies say, "This, this is what we believe in. But based on scrutiny, based on risk averseness, based on unclarity about further drives on European legislation, uh, European Green Directive, etc., these companies have at the moment decided no longer to actively talk about their climate action. They're still going very strong. That's also what we see with our clients. But they are awaiting for better times when re-entering the communication space around this.
0: I guess the future's gonna be all around recreating an environment where companies feel comfortable talking about the transition they're doing, being able to communicate about the challenges. You talked about resetting of targets that perhaps are less ambitious. Is that because you think companies have discovered that in fact it's hit a bit harder than they thought it was going to be?
2: They've embarked on the straightforward things like let's work on LED lighting, let's work on electric vehicles, let's reduce overall travel movements. With those actions, some of the industries like professional services firms have already gotten a long way. Manufacturing companies or heavy industry, uh, they wouldn't really need to start looking into decarbonization of their entire internal operations. They would need to look for energy certificates. They would need to close power purchase agreements. And that is not difficult in itself, but it's quite a big step for companies to undertake. But especially when we look at fast-moving consumer goods companies, companies with a very large agricultural value chain, in order to decarbonize, they would need to work with the suppliers across the value chain to reduce emissions. And that's where we see also that there is important programs underway with many of these multinationals to work with their suppliers, with the individual farmers, with the associations to reduce emissions in the value chain. And that's what we call with a term uh, called insetting. So that is reducing emissions within agricultural value chains, and not to be confused with offsetting, uh, which can be beyond the value chain.
0: Overall then, what do you believe uh, best practice in this whole area looks like now?
2: Best practice is companies should be focusing maximally at reducing emissions. That remains key. They need to do that on the basis of a clear roadmap that is uh, triggered by a science-based target a target that allows that company to decarbonize in line with science for reaching one and a half degrees of maximum climate warming. That companies report on their footprint in full scope, so scopes one, two, and three, with clear reference to the exact scopes and, and also geographies that are in use, and be very open about the achievements that they've reached that they just give that full transparency to their customers, to the market. This is also more and more required by legislation. And so in the end, the laggards will also be picked up by legislation that they need to report much more intense about actual sustainability initiatives, about their current emissions, but definitely also about the actions that they're undertaking. But also around physical risks. Uh, the implications of climate change on the company's performance and overall risk portfolio. So that would be best practice. Okay, and then
0: let's think about the laggard. What are they doing, or I guess are not doing it? And how do you think that that dial can be shifted?
2: Laggard companies can also be found in industries that are extremely hard to abate. Uh, So heavy industry, utilities, or industries where it is just difficult to switch fuel patterns, let's say aviation industry as well. These companies have a hard time to really reduce emissions. It's not cheap. The decarbonization pathways are not always well defined. Any initiative also comes with some risk. What we would see is that these laggards are also part of global value chains with other companies. So ultimately, if they want to prevail, they also need to show their own decarbonization initiatives because the whole value chain will decarbonize on the leaders of those value chains. We do believe that technology transition with more innovation, that also the laggards, especially also driven by regulation and sustainability becoming much more of a compliance market, that also the laggards will get that push to not only decarbonize but also to communicate about it.
0: I'm not sure if you're planning a fifth report next year, but whenever you are going to produce another report, what do you expect to be in it?
2: We were surprised that green hushing has taken such a prominent stance. We will continue to survey the corporate sustainability landscape, so there's definitely going to be a fifth report in the sixth. We feel this trend of green is very worrying because if the leaders no longer want to speak about their initiatives, the whole industry will have a hard time to innovate and to learn and share best practices. So we will be deep diving in this contradiction between actually taking action and communicating about it because the companies are taking a lot of action and discrepancy needs to be further explored. So that is definitely an area that we're going to further research. We would be very keen to see any changes in the investor landscape. And we expect that further regulation legislation will also drive corporate climate action and also the transparency around that. So we are actually anticipating that that green hushing is a temporary burst in the overall corporate climate space. And we would be keen to research if that trend continues or if it, it actually decreases.
0: It'll be interesting to see if that's the case. Certainly, as you say, it is a really interesting phenomenon, uh, one that is indeed worrying. A culture of transparency for everyone is probably what we'd like to get back to. But for now, Rennie from South Pole, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Ian. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. Look out for the recording of the latest in our webinar series, where we looked at the need for more data-driven agriculture and the tools that are emerging to help. And the latest in our apparel Factory Voice series. We'll be back with a weekly briefing on Monday. But that's it for now. i am been Dean Welsh. And until next time, Goodbye.